You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on? Berto here. And me and Berto are back after a quite a quite a break from recording episodes. Um <laughs> So, Berto, what do you got for a topic for us today? Um, well, before I get into that, man, let me just let me just send a shout out real quick to the podcast community because there's one thing I've learned in these last few weeks of uh, you know just being at work, needing something to listen to. Podcasting gets you through the day, man. Like, oh yeah. If you find a few good podcasts before you know it, your aid is done, and you might be ready for two <laughs> hours of overtime. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I've been I've been grinding through. I've been grinding through. So so shout out to to a lot of the you know just the podcast community and and uh and, and definitely also to the listeners because these platforms wouldn't be available without people, you know, putting the ear out there to listen. Uh with that, I'll jump into this this topic here, man. So <clears throat> I think last week in last week's episode, we covered how people are well, it might not have been last week, but people are directly affected. Uh, by, you know, by gang violence and um, basically directly affected from family members that are in gangs. You know, I gave the example of <clears throat> someone I looked at, you know, as a mother figure who was shot. And so <clears throat> things like that are all too common. But there's also there's also situations where people are indirectly brought into the gang, I guess, gang activity. And uh, it's almost like unbeknownst to them, man, it's kind of, it's a shame that I was a part of that. And it's a shame that a lot of gang members are, you know, complicit in this, you know, they, they almost bring their people along with them to join their gang. And I know that sounds like a strange concept, but it's really true. You know, you marry yourself to these gangs and essentially your family comes along with you and your old friends come along with you that might not have anything to do with anything that you're trying to get involved in. And um, <clears throat> so I got a few examples, man, that I want to lay out, you know, when you have some questions, we can talk about it. Uh, the first one is a guy, man, my, my, my friend Toot, who I always talk about, his cousin. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a gang member. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was, uh, he was in the service uh, and he was in the army and, you know, when he came home from his deployment, you know, he was, uh, it's funny, man, because in, in the neighborhood, the average person doesn't show super respect to servicemen. And it's a shame because obviously servicemen are the people that keep, uh, you know, they award us our freedom. They fight for our freedom. But so when you come home, when he came home, it wasn't like he came home to this grand, um, you know, uh, excitement of everybody like, oh, you know, uh, probably just his family. And, and the reason why I bring up that point is because I feel like, you know, in a situation where somebody is away for so long, uh, and they come home, they want to be embraced and they want to be endeared. And sometimes people might be looking for that, that, that affirmation. And I'm not saying that specific to this person. His name was Ruben and he was a good dude, man. He was a solid dude. He just got unlucky and he started hanging around a bunch of wild kids and so obviously Toot is his cousin. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit different, but you know, he didn't have to inject himself into our life, but he did. And unfortunately, you know, that's, that's where it starts, right? It starts out with, can I get a ride here? You know, do you want to hang out this day? 
and eventually it becomes a friendship. And, um, you know, those friendships, they, as much as people like to think that they don't, they do come with contingencies. Um, they come with demands. And one of those contingencies or demands is that if something happens to me and you're with me, you have to do something. You know, if somebody wants to fight, you got to fight. If somebody wants to shoot at us, you know, and you have a gun, you got to shoot at them. So it's like those expectations are automatically put on the people that the gang members surround themselves with. And it's unfair, but it's a reality. And so, <clears throat> like I said, man, Ruben was a good dude and uh, he chose to be around us. That was his choice, right? So, you know, just calling it down the line, that was his choice as much as I take blame for my part in things. Um, so <clears throat> with Ruben, he had knowledge as an older man, you know, he was two taller cousin. He had some knowledge about just normal combat, right? Like he did this, this uh, PT, he did the physical training. Um, he got accepted into the army. <clears throat> so he knew things, right? He knew things about combat that we definitely didn't know. We end up obviously asking him about it. Hey, man, what's it like? What's it like to, to you know, to shoot M16? You know, what's it like to do this? And, you know, what kind of to techniques do they show you? And, and before you know it, it gets into a conversation about, well, you know, they show you how to shoot a gun, you know? And it's right. like, uh, you know, obviously he's like, yeah, of course. Well, why don't you show us? Why don't you show us how you shoot it, right? And you got to remember at this time, right, you're dealing with a bunch of kids who got these crazy egos and pride. So it's not like we're going to, we're, we're humble, right? It's not like we're like, can you show us how to shoot? It's kind of like, man, show us what, what they showed you. You know what I mean? Like it's an arrogance because we had already been shooting guns. You know, we had already been shooting at people. So it wasn't like it was some major thing he was going to show us, right? In our mind. But the reality is that the one thing that he showed us that I took away from the mini conversation, it actually made a huge difference. And I'll tell you why. So Obviously, he he gets up. He's like, well, this is what you do. And he shows me his stance. He shows me into the stance. And then the main thing that I noticed that he did was he showed me how he held the gun. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movies, right? I don't know if you've seen, you know, fake gangsters. What's the favorite thing to do? You know, they grab the gun with one hand and they shoot it sideways. Or even if they shoot it straight, they shoot with one hand. They're, they're leaning towards people, you know, when they're shooting. Those bullets are flying in trees and into the ground, man. Those bullets ain't going nowhere, you know? And uh, so the one thing that he showed us was how to grab a gun with two hands. And believe it or not, man, that little, little tip, that little trick, it changes things, man. It changes how your bullets fly. I just think that it's a shame, uh -huh, obviously, that somebody in the the army would, would show a bunch of gang members that. Um, but... <laughs> I think it's even more of a shame that we drug that out of them. But it just shows the mindset that we had and what we were trying to accomplish is we were trying to be army-like in the street. I can't say specifically how many bullets that that simple bit of advice changed the direction of. You know, I can't say that um, people were hurt or not hurt because of what he said. But what I can say is that he was an ex-serviceman and he showed us how he shot his gun. And, uh, and that would have never happened if he would have never met, you know, us Latin Kings. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a two edged sword. It's, it's wrong on his behalf, obviously, but it's, it's obviously wrong on our behalf. And it goes back to the, 
the moral compass of this conversation, which is that, you know, people that um, aren't necessarily in the gang, that get brought into the gang, you know, and um, and obviously it, uh, it it snowballs from there. You know, it, it goes from, all right, well, that's cool. Hey, well, you know, we need you to get us a box of bullets. You know, we're we're all underage and uh, we can't go into any gun store and buy a book and you buy us a box of bullets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Sure. You know, and and it just progresses, man. It progresses, it progresses, it progresses, and you know, and and then and then we're selling drugs together, and you know, it's just unfortunate, man. You you bring somebody who did something for their life and sacrificed for their life, sacrificed for the country, and you turn them and bring them down into the mud with you, and that's kind of you know that's that's an ongoing theme with these gangs. Uh, that's 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 real common, and so you know, I I won't I won't speak on. Obviously, I won't speak on what I don't know about him. Um, he, like I said, to me, he was always a good guy. I do know that <clears throat> he ended up getting superseded onto our indictment. I think he got like a year or something. And then um, he did eventually end up becoming a Latin king uh, once we were out of the picture, which I never understood. It still doesn't make sense. Like you were with us all the time. You didn't want to be a king. And then as soon as we all got indicted, he ended up being a king. So I, that's that's but that's just that's either here nor there. So that's one. Now, so go ahead. So go ahead. Question. When uh, when um so you said he ended up becoming a Latin king. So you said in the indictment he got a year. Was it basically he did a year, got out, and then just kind of got pulled into the gang? Is that essentially what happened, or did he end up coming a king before he got indicted? Yeah, I, I can't be a, I can't speak with 100% certainty, but I know for sure it wasn't no more than two years. And I imagine he didn't go to any any major compound where he got made a Latin king in prison. He might have met some Latin kings and maybe that encouraged him to become a Latin king because he wanted to be a part of a gang while he was incarcerated. And it just carried over when he got into the street because there's no way that he got, quote unquote, pulled into the gang once he got out because we were all gone. So in order for him to become a Latin King, when he got out, he had to seek out the Latin Kings that didn't get indicted. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that was his choice. I mean, once he got out, you know, obviously he could have walked away, but he ended up choosing to be a Latin King. Yeah. That was, that was, that was his own choice. So when you were, if you were out there and you were becoming friends with somebody that appeared to have no interest in, was there ever moments of hesitation where you're like, you know, you're a cool guy, but you really shouldn't hang out with me because I don't want to get you pulled into anything. Or was it just kind of one of those things where you never really even thought about what you could be doing? Yeah, I think um, with me, for sure, I didn't have any side friends. You know, um, the friends I had were kinks, period, point blank, end of story. And that was there was a purpose behind that. And it's because of exactly what you're saying. I never wanted there to be, I never wanted to have to make a choice. Uh, you know, about um, anything when it came to being a Latin King or being with, you know, a childhood friend, because I still got childhood friends now um, that I've reconnected with. But, you know, at that time, I, I cut them all off. And, you know, for good reason. I, I'm glad I did, you know, to, to, to bring them around into my life. Like I said, it would have been it would have been detrimental to to them, not to me. It wouldn't hurt me. It would have hurt them, you know, so the best thing I did was to distance myself from them. I can't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on a high horse and act like I did that intentionally. <laughs> you know, I, I did it because out of necessity, um, mm -hmm. 
I wanted and needed to be with Latin Kings every day because that was my life. And I chose to end those relationships and other friendships because I felt like that wasn't me. And so, no, I think that with most, with most guys, it's probably different now, but especially back then, you know, nobody had side friends. You know, I, I, everybody that I was with every day, I knew everybody they talked to, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was, uh, it was that tight knit of a unit. Mm -hmm. So, um, I actually got, I don't know how this slipped my mind. I never even realized the irony in this. So Mondi, right? Everybody knows that name. This is the second person I was going to talk about. Mondi's wife, because I'm pretty sure he's still legally married to this woman. He got married seven days before we got indicted. <clears throat> well, Mondi's wife was also in the service. She was in the army. And, um, you know, she also, not to the extent that, that uh, Ruben did, but she also ended up getting dragged into, into our mess. Never to the extent, like I said, that Ruben did, but, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't remember if we've ever had her like buy bullets or anything like that for us. But she definitely, this, this isn't, this isn't something that I'm trying to bring up that she did. It was more about us um, because she didn't, you know, it wasn't like Ruben where he was trading secrets with us. It was, uh, it, she was more of just, you know, she was Monty's companion and she ended up getting sucked into this life that she had no say so about basically because of the person that she loved. Um, and a prime example was that, I mean, uh, one time it was me, Mondi, and Tim at the liquor store. You know, I never forget it. And uh, she's with us. Okay, let me take that back. She did buy us alcohol. So that might have been, that might have been, you know, that's nothing. So anyways, yeah. we're at the liquor store and we end up running into some MPs. Our our first instinct is to obviously to get rid of these guys. You know, like we ain't got no gun on us though. And um, so we're like, all right, we're going to end up fighting these guys. There's three of them. And it's me, my brother, and Mondi and and Cindy. And so we're in the store and we're kind of like talking to each other. Like, all right, listen, we get outside, you know, like we're just going to square up with these dudes and we're going to fight. Right. And we're telling Cindy, listen, just go get in the car, start the car and just have it ready and just be ready to drive away. And so um, right there, you know, she got sucked into something she had nothing to do with. You know, mm -hmm. she's got no part of that. She doesn't know these guys from Adam. To be fair, we didn't either. We just knew they were MPs. But she didn't have nothing to do with it, you know? But because of our own stupidity, we made her a part of it. Now, when we got out the liquor store, they were actually parked right there on the corner. It was on there. It was on, uh, I want to say it was like 52nd in Oklahoma or something. It was right there. It's like discount liquor or something. And um, the guy had a two-door. It was like a Thunderbird almost. But it was one of them painted cars that was like almost like a flip-flop paint. Like it looked purple, but if you looked at it at a different angle or it hit the sun, it turned colors. And and I remember we we walked out and as soon as we looked into his car, because we didn't know it was their car at first, the door was wide open. As soon as we looked into there, all three of them are sitting in there and both of them got their guns on their lap. Oh God. And so, you know, now at this time, Cindy's still with us because even though we told her to go to the car, you know, she's just walking out the store with us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we just look at them, you know, we don't stop. We just keep walking because obviously we're unarmed, you know, but we're looking at them, you know, I'm keeping my eye on them and they start gangbanging on us right away. You know, they start throwing down the crown. And, um, uh, and so we're, I look at Mondi and then I look at Tim and we just kind of looked at each other and we're like backing up away from the car, you know, now listen, I'll take it to the street with anybody at that time, right? Like I'll go to war with anybody, but I'm not an idiot. I'm not, I'm not a martyr. 
I'm not going to be out here and be like, yo, start disrespecting MP. And then they start shooting, kill us right there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure we had a fighting chance. Tim wanted to make sure we have a, Monty wanted to make sure we have a fighting chance. So we look at each other and we weigh our options, you know, and they're just looking at us, looking at us. And before you know it, we backed up far enough to where we're at the parking lot to where our car's at. And so we just kind of shake our head at them. We nod at them like, all right, you got that one. We'll take the L on this one, you know? And uh, thankfully nothing happened. We jumped in the car with Cindy and we took off. That's an example, man, of she had nothing to do with anything. You know, I'll give you another example. And I've told this story before. It's the story of where I went back to Wales because the guys had robbed the house next door and they thought they came into Mondi's house. That house that I'm talking about was Mondi and Cindy's house, you know, and they came into the house. They kicked in the door. You know, this is a service woman, right? Like she's in the army and she's getting her door kicked in by the police. That would never happen if it wasn't for us, you know? Mm-hmm. And And even though that was like a, a one-off and it happened by chance still things like that don't happen to people that are living normal lives that are, you know, just, just working hard. You know, obviously this, this person right here sacrificed, you know, everything to go and be in the army. And, uh, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't, it, it's, it's, it's not likely put it like that. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, those are, those are, uh, those are two examples. You got any questions on that one? Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, Kind of looking back at it, what were these people's reactions that got pulled into these? You know, were they, I mean, just mortified after these situations happened? Like, like after this happened and Cindy's driving away, was she like just petrified of what happened? Or was she also kind of accepting of, because she must have, obviously she understood what Mondi's lifestyle, right? Right, right. And so she knew that she could be pulled into something like this. And I'm just curious how they react. Was, was it kind of like, yeah, this is part of my life too, because, um, or... <clears throat> I feel like she was accepting of it. I don't feel like she, obviously she didn't like it and she was scared, but I will say this man about her and about Ruben and about 95% of the people that grew up on the South side of Milwaukee and all these urban neighborhoods across the country, even if you're not involved in the gang activity, you know what goes on, mm-hmm. you know, it's when you get, so, so you kind of like, you know what's happening. It's just, you're naive because you're not in it. You know, you're oblivious. Now, when you get pulled into it and then you're a part of it, that's different. So I think that may have been a first time for her where she knew about the gang life. She knew about what it represented. She knew about the risks, but that was the first time she was ever involved in it. You know, firsthand where if we would have walked out those store and those guys would have just started shooting at us, she's going down with us. Mm-hmm. No fault of her own. She's going down with us, and so yeah, I think I think that's that's I think that's a truth, man. I think that that's a, it's a sad reality, but I think that even people that are you know white collar, blue collar, whatever collar, people know about what gang life is. It's just peeling back the curtain and seeing the inside of it is a whole different animal. So, um, and I'm kind I of ha- curious too. This is this is kind of a um, kind of maybe a touchy thing, but. But if Cindy were standing in front of you right now, what would you say to her about those? Oh, I'd apologize. I'd apologize. I'd apologize to her. I mean, I like, I, you know, I think that's one thing that I wish was a reality that I could really <clears throat> genuinely apologize to all the people that I hurt that had nothing to do with my stupidity. Um, obviously, there's there's people that were involved 
in some way, some small way with the things that I was doing that weren't involved in gangs. And, and, um, but you know, I don't think they were complicit in the lifestyle. They just cared about me. Um, but, but the people that were not a part of anything that I was doing, um, I'm definitely sorry and apologetic that, cause I can, I can, I can literally close my eyes, man, and think about how many times we were at a place where it was just somebody that was innocent and, uh, just trying to have a good time, walked into the wrong party. I mean, you name it, man. And, and, you know, those are people that I don't necessarily know. So, and I feel bad about that. So imagine how I feel about the people that I did know firsthand. Um, Cindy was always real cool, man. She, uh, good person. And, and so even if she wasn't, I still would feel like I needed to apologize. And if you could go back, like, let's just say you could go back to those, knowing that now what you know, is there something you would have done differently in, in those, because obviously there's nothing you can do if they're okay. So there's a couple MPs out there, even if you don't even acknowledge there's still that risk because they obviously know you're something. Maybe they don't know your Latin Kings, but they know you're something, right? I mean, no, they knew we just, were Latin Kings. Yeah. You could just, <laughs> yeah. But you can just smell you like once you're in a gang, you can, I, I think you've said that they can smell other gang members more or less. You just know who they are. And right. But is there something you think knowing now what you know you could have done to defuse that situation and made it less risky for Cindy? Or is this just something that the gang life, per this is a, uh, just one of those downsides of a gang life that you just can't prevent? Does yeah, I think, I, think, uh, I think that's why this is a topic today, because I think that it's not something that you can control. Um, it's not something that you can go back and change one thing. Because we could have gotten the car and them guys weren't there and then pull up to the stoplight and the Spanish Cobras are right there waiting for us. Mm-hmm. Or the mm-hmm. two ones are down the block. So this is this is something that is ongoing and, and infinite. Um I wish I wish that uh you know she didn't have to go through that. <clears throat> I can't you know, I can't I you know, a lot of people that I've talked to, they ask me, Do you regret what you've done? You know, um I've been hearing that since I got incarcerated, do you regret what you've done? Do you regret what you've done? And, and, um, my biggest regret is that people got hurt. My, my regret is that people got hurt. I can't regret what I've done because I'm the man I am today through that. Um, but I regret that people were hurt and I regret that I hurt people. Um, that's, that's my biggest regret. But to say that I regret my whole life, I wouldn't be the man I am today. So, uh, I think that's, that's, uh, I think that's, that's right in line with what you're talking about. I can't, I can't go back and say, I wish I would have did this, or I wish I would have did that, or I regret doing this, or man, we should have just did this. And that's not who I was as a person. It's not who I was as a, as a Latin King. Um, and so, yeah, you can't really, you, you can't take away, um, you can't take away things like that. This episode's getting heavy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then to, <laughs> to, to, to snowball it and to piggyback onto that, I got, I, I saved this one because um, a bunch of reasons. So first of all, um, I've mentioned her before and, and it's, it was one of my, <clears throat> it was one of my good friends, man. I brought the guy Mario around and he ended up being from 19th street, but his mom was also another like mother figure. Now she wasn't like Chico's mom, you know, Chico's mom took me in, you know, fed me, clothed me, wanted me to do right. Um, you know, she was more of just somebody that was loving all the time. And just had a big heart and just cared, cared too much. And, um, 
almost to her detriment because we destroyed her life um, in, in, in some ways. And I feel really, really guilty about this one. I feel really, really convicted about it. Um, like I said, Mario was, was my friend and I chose to bring him around the Kings and I did. And then, and then eventually I chose to bring the Kings around him. And what I mean by that is I started bringing Kings to his house and I was always welcome at his house. Uh, you know, his mom, like I said, his mom was always welcoming. And then when the guy started coming over, she didn't change. She was always welcoming. And there would be seven, eight, nine of us in this little house. And she never said no. You know, she would be coming home from work, long day at work. She'd call and, hey, what do you guys want to eat? And bring us, you know, 10 McChickens. This is back when <laughs> McChickens were a dollar, though. You know, but but um, just the nicest woman, man, I'm telling you. And, and, um, and, and we dragged her into so many different um, bad situations, dangerous situations, life on the line situations. I mentioned the one where, you know, the North side, when I had her, you know, drive us to take the gun back to, to, to my brother. And, and that was, that was a dangerous, stupid thing we did. Um, you know, I can say that, you know, we, we've, you know, buying, like I said, you know, buying alcohol and, and, and weed and stuff like that. I think that's the, that's the bare minimum that people should be concerned about when it comes to, uh, family members or friends being, um, you know, enablers, so to speak, because, you know, like my dad used to always tell me, and it's not the right philosophy, but he used to always say, if you're going to drink, you're going to smoke. I'd rather have you right here in front of me while you're doing it. So she used to buy us alcohol and she used to buy us weed and, and we would sit at her house and smoke and drink. And yeah, that's not good, but I understand conceptually it makes sense. Um, where, right, right. So where, where, especially with her youngest son, her, you know I mean? Her, Her baby. Uh, her baby son. So where things went left is we did, man. We, 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 um, we took advantage of her. You know, we, we asked her to buy bullets, you know, we asked her to be okay with us having gang, you know, I guess gang, uh, literature in the house and, 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 you know, her son was the treasurer at one time. So, you know, we would have gang money in the house and, and guns and, and all these things, this is, this is where her love and her caring, um, it didn't allow her to say no. And, and I feel more responsible probably than anybody because I was the introduction, you know, I was the bridge and I brought them to her house. So one time, right. Um, (laughs) one time I thought that I was going to kill this guy, Orlando C, right. He's a Cobra. And to our knowledge at the time, <clears throat> he was the guy who killed Black Cat. This is what we thought. I don't know if it's true to this day. Nobody's ever been prosecuted, so I can't speak with any certainty. He was, the guy Lando C was in a car, um, standing outside his car behind Mario's house. And Mario lived in like a rear cottage at this time. Uh, he lived in, um, he lived right in the, I'm talking about, man, one of the worst neighborhoods on the South Side, like right off of Greenfield. And so you know, crackheads everywhere. And, 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 um, so he's behind, he's talking to somebody behind Mario's house in the alleyway. So because of the fact that he was in the rear, that Mario lived in a rear cottage, we can literally look out the window and see him in the alley talking to Mario's rear neighbor. We didn't know uh, who the rear neighbor is or anything like that, but we knew the guy Lando C. Um, we knew that he used to live on 23rd and that after black cat died, he disappeared. 
right? So we automatically assumed that there was him. And plus, you know, Joey kind of thought it was him. And Joey was the one that was with Black Cat. And so I'm, I'll never forget it. I was sleeping on Mario's couch and uh, Gucci was a king. He wakes me up. He's like, hey, Londo season back. And I'm like, what? You know, that, that like piqued my interest. And we've been looking for this guy. And so the gun was underneath the love seat, underneath the cushion. And so uh, Gucci's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Mario comes on the steps. He looks out. I'm like, yo, that's Lionel C. And he's like, yeah, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to kill him. You know, in my mind, he killed Black Cat, especially at this time. Like, you know, it was fresh. So um, it was a winter time, but it had been like probably like six months, I think. So I'm like, all right, well, we can't just walk out the back door into the alley because he's going to see us right away. So Mario has a front door that, you know, leads to the actual street. You got to go through the gangway and get to the front of the house to get to the street. Um, so I was like, all right, we'll get, we'll go through the front. We'll come around and and we'll get this dude. Now I'm with Mario. I'm with Gucci. Nobody is jumping for joy, trying to grab the gun saying, let me do it. So what does the idiot Birdo do? I'll raise my hand. Give me the gun. I'll take it. So I grabbed a gun. I throw a hoodie on and we went around the block to, to, <clears throat> We went through the, you know, like we said, we went through the front of the gangway and we came around the block and he's just standing there, you know? And so I start, I'm with, uh, I'm with Gucci at this time. Mario stayed in the house. And so I'm weighing my options in my head. I'm knowing it's all on me. Right. But I'm devising a plan out loud. I'm like, man, I'm like, so I'm thinking in my head, like, man, everybody's going to know that the Kings be by Mario's house. So if this dude gets killed right behind Mario's house, man, we're hit. Like it's over with, like somebody's going to. We're going to get caught. So I'm like, all right. I seen the way his car was facing coming out the alley. I'm going to wait for him to get in the car. And once he drives to the end of the alley, I'll shoot him. That's that in my mind. That's what I, I had planned. And so me and Gucci went behind a different house where we could see him, you know, watch him, observe him, wait for him to get done and then be ready waiting for him. And the gun I had was our favorite gun. All right. Uh, and, and the reason why I say it was our favorite gun is because you know, we were a poor gangbanging clique. We didn't have a lot of guns, you know. Uh, we had a few, but the ones we had, we used a lot. And then the, that one specifically that I had, we used a lot, a lot. Now, the only caveat to this gun is that for some reason, if you left a bullet in the chamber and then try to fire it, it wouldn't automatically pull the next bullet from the chamber. It would like jam. It would like stop. And you would have to put one in the chamber and then it would shoot. Boom, 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 boom. Um, so we knew, we knew about all the, all the different workings of our guns, you know, in and out. And so I remember he jumped in the car. I'm like, all right, I cock one in the chamber and it got stuck. Like it, it was like, it was stuck. My, my bullet was like stuck sideways. So I, you know, I hear him, he's getting in the car. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of scrambling a little bit. Right. Cause I want to get, I want to get to him. It was probably on like gangbanger follies. Right. That's how stupid I look, <laughs> you know, and I dropped the bullet. Oh man. So I dropped a bullet. So I, and you got to remember, this is a winter time. There's snow on the ground. There's ice on the ground. You know, it's a chilly day. It's a chilly morning. So I'm like, damn. So I grab it. Bam. I grab it. I got gloves on. Right. So I know, you know, no fingerprints. I got gloves on. Bam. I put it, I finally get it. And, and I drop it in the top and it clips forward. And I'm like, come on, let's go. So we start running. And by the time we get to the alley, he's turning out the alley away from us. So the way the street is, we were on in between, we were in between 12th and 13th in between Greenfield and Orchard. So he's turning towards Orchard on 12th Street. 
and we're behind him. We were in a, in a gangway behind him, like going towards Greenfield. So I like, we like run up the sidewalk and there's cars parked along the side of the street. So he can't see us running up and he's like slowly going. Cause there's a stop sign right there on orchard. So he's like slowly going up the stop sign, just moseying along, moseying along. So I tell Gucci, I'm like, Gucci, listen, run behind his car and start banging on him, you know, throwing up the crown, throwing down the seat through his back window to get his attention. So he won't see me coming up to the passenger side. And um, he's like, all right, all right, all right. So he runs and sure enough, he runs to the back and he's he's like, you know, he's big old king, cobra killer. You know, he's throwing it and, and um, that's my cue, right? So I come and there's like a car right there uh, and I come around the car. He's looking at Gucci, but he's facing the passenger seat. So he's looking right at me and I got my hoodie on. I got a mask on. I literally had a, um, this is before COVID, right? I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a winter mask on. And so uh, he sees me and Susie sees me, his eyes, you know, they get big and bulgy. He knows what time it is. And I just lift it up and I started firing on him. Boom, 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 boom. And he turns, he's turning uh, up orchard and he's taking off. Boom, boom. And this is like a 15 shot clip. So I'm unloading on him, boom, 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 boom. And I'm chasing him in the middle of the street. Like, I want this guy dead. Like, he killed one of my best friends. In my mind, he killed Black Cat. And I can see Black Cat's face in my mind when I'm chasing this car, hoping that I hit him, you know, hoping that I take his life like he took my friend's life. That's the name of the game at this time. And so he runs right through the stop sign on 13th Street, man. I'm thinking, man, that's a busy street. He's going to get hit. And he just goes straight through. He goes straight through. And, and uh, I don't know if I hit him. I mean, I was really close to him. I don't know if I hit him, uh, um, but he took off. And so now it's, it's uh, you know, now we got to take off running. So Gucci takes off. He's behind me. He didn't, he didn't chase with me. So he run through a gangway. So I run through a gangway. My, my, my mother's, my, my kid's mother had, she lived right down the block from Mario. So that was my plan. I was going to go over there. So I'm running through a gangway and I hear Gucci from three yards down yelling my name. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah, Bardo, Bardo. And I'm like, this has got to be the dumbest criminal I've ever met. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I pop out of the, you know, like where I was at. And I'm like putting my finger to my mouth, like, like shut up. You know what I mean? And what, what do you, and he's like, come here, come here, come here. So I run, I hop a couple of fences. I get over there. He's like, come on, let's go inside. And I'm, yeah, I'm like, nobody seen you go back. He's like, no, come on, let's go. So he's talking about, let's go back in Mario's house. I was apprehensive about that. You know, I didn't like the idea of that because I felt like, there was too many things that happened. It's broad daylight. It's the morning. Somebody had to be looking out the window and see where we came from. I, I just in my mind, I was circling, but I'm a kid and I'm a dummy at this time. So I'm like, you know what? Nobody is going to know. Like, it's just, this is safe. So we go in the house right away. Mario's like, what happened? What happened? We tell Mario what happened. He takes the gun downstairs and hides it in the basement. Once again, criminal of the year, uh, Gucci's like, hey, I'm going to go outside and see if there's any cops out there, right? And, you know, the leader says, yeah, go ahead. That's a smart idea. No, I, I told him, I was like, bro, I don't think you should go. I was like, I don't think you should go. He's like, don't worry about it. Like, I changed my hoodie. I'm just going to walk out there like nothing. So I'm like, all right, you got it. You know, I'm, I'm not going not gonna to hold you back from your destiny. So he walks out and he never comes back, right? Now, wow. what we didn't know is that not only did he walk out into a place where there was just a shooting in broad daylight. He also walked out with some crack cocaine and some, some weed in his pocket. <laughs> so, so this genius gets hemmed up by the cops, 
They find him with the, because he was wanted at the time, actually, for a different shooting, for a different shooting with Toot. And and so they 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 uh they hem him up, you know. They find the the, the weed and the and the cocaine. And uh, what, what are you doing? Where are you coming from? And this genius says, "Oh, I was just coming from right over here. My girlfriend lives right over here because he was dating Mario's sister." And um, <clears throat> so now the cops have probable cause, and they come back to the house, and they're pounding on the door. They're pounding on the door, like, "Listen, if you don't let us in, we're gonna kick the door in." And their probable cause is that this guy's got drugs on him. He said he just came from this house. Two and two together says there's probably drugs in this house. They're not even, I guess they're, they're not, it, it doesn't seem like they're even investigating the shooting at this point. They think that was a completely separate episode or, or you know, a completely separate um, um, event that happened. And so they come in the house. Boom. Now I'm, I'm nervous. I'm shitting in my pants. I'm like, I know the gun's downstairs. You know what I mean? And, and I'm in there. I'm downstairs too. We, we, me and Mario went to the basement, right? And we're hiding sacks of weed in the VCR. It's, it's, it's anarchy. Right. And so now nah, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I will say this. That was one of the most disgusting houses I've ever been in in my life as far as cleanliness. Okay. So I'm being a hundred percent truthful. The basement was so nasty and dirty. There were so many bags of miscellaneous things that the fact that Mario hid the gun in one of those bags saved us because they did not take the time to siphon through each bag to see if the gun was in there. They looked around, they looked around, they shined their flashlight. They did find a list with our names for, for the do money. Um, but what, it, what it, is do money? Do money is, is what you pay, you pay each week. So if you owe dues, that means that you got to pay, like we had 20 bucks a week. Right. And then we all put it together and that's how we buy bullets or we buy a new gun or, you know, if we had money and somebody was in jail, we could send them money or uh, bail somebody out. So that's what do money is. So they found a list with who owed and who didn't. And, you know, there's it's all nicknames. So they couldn't really put two and two together. But the main thing is they didn't find the gun. All they did was take Gucci. Um, they took me outside. They put me in a lineup. <clears throat> they couldn't point me out. Um, I had a mask on. And then I ended up going downtown. I told them nothing and I ended up getting released. Now, the moral of that whole story is that what happens after what happened after is that they evicted Mary, they evicted Mario from the house and it was our fault. It was my fault. Just being a kind person, just having a caring heart. You know, she just allowed these lost kids into her home and it cost her. And so that's just uh, another example, man, of how fast your life can change by including yourself in a gang member's life, you know? And so, um, it's sad, man. I feel bad. I felt bad about it when it happened. And, and, um, and then once, you know, once she moved and Mario moved, you know, the guys went to her house, but not as much and not as deep, you know, it wasn't 10 of us, two, three here, two, three there, you know, no problem. But, and it's just because she couldn't say no. And so, um, yeah, man, that's that's the unfortunate reality of how people in, I mean, I guess in most societies, but even more so, man, when it comes to that gang life, because it's literally like a split second, man. Your whole life is different. Your whole life is different, you know? So any questions? Not really, man. I mean, that was just real heavy. <laughs> yeah, it was heavy. I it mean, was heavy. You know, But I had to get my point across. Yeah, and you did a good job. Because <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I guess I, I guess I want to 
think like, how do you make a, a current gang member, the things they're doing with people? But I'm pretty sure if I ask you that question, you're going to tell me that at that point you'd be fully, you know. Or even cared, to be honest with you, because it's like, you know, you, you're such a young punk, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you're such a young, arrogant punk. And, and you're like, well, you know, if you don't, then just don't, just don't mess with me. You know, it's, it's just an arrogant way of thinking, you know, I guess, I guess to, to, to kind of turn around and ask you, <clears throat> ask you a question, um, how apprehensive would you be if you met somebody and you hang out with them and then you eventually found out they were in a gang, I, you know, how apprehensive would you be about hanging out with them in different see, places? That's a really hard thing for me to say, because I mean, it would depend like, like if I met a person knowing they were in a game, very apprehensive even get, but, the, but envision, then I envision like, okay, I've been hanging out with them for five months that, and we're just tight. And then I find out they're in a game. I mean, that, that dramatically changes that situation, you know? Right. Right. You know, no, for because, sure. Because I like, like, I'm sure you, you can attest to this, like, like, Gang members are not bad people. Like, like they can be, I mean, they do bad things. That was going to be my next point. Yeah, they do bad things, but but you could easily become friends with one because they're not just like terrible monsters. Right, and and that was going to be my next question because, you know, um, people in general terms, when they close their eyes and they hear a gang member, they think some young thug with his hat twisted and a bandana on and his pants hanging down low. Maybe not these days, but back then, their pants hanging down low, can't put a sentence together to save his life, you know, completely illiterate. Like, that's what people envision in their mind, the stereotypical gang member, you know, or the, you know, or the hairnet and the 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 Ben Davis and tattoos on her face. You know, any stereotypical gang member is what most people that aren't familiar visualize. But then the reality is you meet guys like Mondi, who has charisma. You meet guys like me, you know, um, funny, intelligent, you know, guys like Toot, you know, guys like my brother. And you don't, they don't fit the prototype. We don't fit the pro, we didn't fit the prototype. Like, yeah, we were ruthless, but we were, I guess, as stupid as it sounds, we were educated in the sense that we knew how to minimize the risk of getting shot, minimize the risk of getting caught. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you're always going to win at that game, but knowing how to minimize it is, is a big part of the battle. And so we didn't look like a stereotypical gang member. And so if we did meet Eric, like we met Cody and hung out with Cody, Cody would have never guessed we were going to trash his damn house and put gang signs all over his hallway. He never seen that coming, you know? And I feel bad, Cody, if you listen, I'm sorry. But, you know, but but that's the that that's the that's the bridge that is hard to see across. You know, like you 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 befriend a person that looks normal, talks normal, he's funny, we hang out, but you don't know that if I go to Walmart with this guy, you know, there's a chance I get shot. You know, if if I bring him to my mom's house and we're sitting on the front porch, somebody drives by and sees him, there's a chance my mom gets shot. So that's the problem, man. That's the problem that society faces as a whole. That's the problem that all these different communities face as a whole. And it's not getting any easier because tattoos are accepted in the world these days, you know, 
And so that's not a giveaway anymore. People used to think, oh, he's got tattoos, he's in the gang. Nah. Mm -hmm. You know, urban apparel has always been popular, whether you're from an urban area or not. So it's not tattoos. It's not how he dresses. Um, Like I said, you know, not every gang member is illiterate, can't speak and can't say anything without cussing. You know, so where do you find this stereotypical and prototypical gang member anymore. You can't. And so I think that's one of the biggest challenges that every community faces is how do you spread a message to avoid gang members and avoid this kind of activity when you don't even know what they look like anymore? Yeah. And, and I think another big part of this that like, I, th- I think a lot of people that are not from communities that per se, like growing up, we had, we had our people that were quote unquote gangs, but like it's nothing like what you were talking, uh, to, you know, like we what right, we talk right. about on this pay- podcast. Right. And so I never really grew up around that, but and I think somebody like from an area that I would grow in would look at it and say, well, if I lived in that area and I had those, I mean, those people would just not be allowed anywhere near my home, my kids, whatever, whatever. But I think that's a hard thing to say because I think. W- in your area, this was just a fact of everybody's life. This was here, it was all around them, and it was an impossible thing to escape. Right. Wouldn't you agree no, with sure. that? Yeah. Yeah, and- for sure. For sure. And I I, I, uh, I, do. I think that the geographical area on the south side is just not big enough to move away from. Right. You know, families don't have money to just uproot and go live in a suburb, you know? So it's like, it's it, it's it's about awareness, man, at this point. You know, it's just about making people aware and trying to give insight and looking for signs, looking for signs when it comes to your kids and their friends and just trying to minimize, you know, just like we did as gang members. Now, as uh, somebody who, you know, would be, I guess, an, an, an advocate for change and for growth, it's the same thing. Try to minimize, man. Try to bring clarity and shed light on the things that you can and, and, and give different insight because I don't mind peeling back the curtain, man. I don't, I know a lot of people are hating me for it, but at the end of the day, man, too many people have died. Too many people have given their life for this, this cause, man, this, this, uh, this illusion of a lifestyle, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like stoicism or, you know, just this imaginary, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's so hard to really, I guess articulate how deep guys cling to these these concepts and these ideals. You know, just the just the five points in itself. I mean, just love, honor, obedience, sacrifice, and righteousness. You you listen to that and you think, man, that's a solid man. But there's so many flaws in it, and there's so many inconsistencies. And it's just like you know, I mourn I mourn with 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 the mothers that lost their their family, their their kids, and and um, and I still I still mourn for you know, for, for black hat. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, man, that you can't really impact the way you would like to. And and to add to that, you, you, there's a lot of people that hate you, but I also hope that there's just as many people that, you know, being able to really see inside of a gang member's life and realizing that, you know, it's not just gunfire and, and these are real people that are like, like we've said multiple times on this podcast, these are real people 
doing bad things. And right. and I think right. it's really important for everybody to understand that because I think, I mean, I don't even think I had a bad perception of gang members coming into the start of this podcast, but you've really opened my eyes up to just, I mean, what it was all about, things like that. Right. And, and to be fair, let me walk back that statement real, real quick. I don't, I don't think people, uh, a lot of people hate me for it. I think a lot of people disagree with um, me using this platform. <clears throat> um, but but I do believe there's a lot of people that genuinely appreciate it. And as time goes on and our viewership goes up and questions come in, I think they'll appreciate even more. And we can give clarity and um, and we can give some kind of, you know, some kind of direction, man. You know, I can't say we give hope. You know, that's that's something that that's above us. If I can educate or, or provide any type of information, then that's what I'm going to do. You know, and if I'm wrong, call me out. I, I'm not above being wrong. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, made I think a bunch of dumb welcome, choices. <laughs> yeah, I think we both welcome somebody to come on here and and tell us if you think if you think Berto's wrong about all this. We'd love to hear your side of it. You know, so for sure, I think that would be in, make an outstanding podcast for sure. Yeah, that's what I got, man. That's what I got for today. All right. Well, um, then I guess we'll wrap this episode up as normal. If you do enjoy this podcast, please leave us feedback on your favorite podcast player. And as always, you can reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. And Berto, do you have a topic in mind for the next episode? Um, yeah, I do. But I, I really quick, I, I really want to, I really do want to pay tribute, man, to the, the day ones that we have, man, on our, you know, on our, on our platform here, man. I, I feel like <clears throat> they need some credit. You know, they've been, they've been loyal listeners. You know, I don't know individually who they are, but, you know, whoever listens to any episode or every episode, uh, we appreciate it. You know, we appreciate you guys coming on and, and uh, going ahead and, and and following our podcast or or however you do it. I don't know. I'm still new to this, the lingo, but um, we, we definitely appreciate the support. So definitely. with that, with that, my, my next topic next week, man, um, it's going to be probably along the same lines, but a little different. It's going to be more about blind loyalty. And this is from within the gang. So obviously it's going to be from my perspective of, of how blind I was with my loyalty. And uh, I think that's a good one. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting. So, all right. Well, everybody will be back in next, or we'll be back next week with that episode. And thanks again, everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.